You could, of course, and a lot of people like to say, you could think, well, I want to, not the C word, but the R word. I want to resist. Now, give me some examples of how you might resist. Give me three examples of resistance that you could think of. Sorry? Like that. OK, right. So we've got the blowing up of a railway, which is a very obviously very, very important. And curiously, it's often the first image that comes into my head, all our heads, often. Other things. So we've got blowing up railways. Uh, we haven't got that's a very good one. You could paint signs on walls. And one other. Propaganda. And we have propaganda. You could say that. That's to say newspapers. Uh, these are resistance newspapers. That kind of thing you mean. You, and that's one called Liberation. That's one called Combat and so on. Absolutely. Now, and also, of course, you can, just to go back to that previous slide, you can also sort of join partisan fighters. But that was very much later on. And that's an image of... It's probably a slightly staged image, to be honest, of, of a Paris in the uh, uprising in Paris with a female resistor, two, two men. And that, I suspect, is a fairly staged picture as well. But nonetheless, this happened. This sort of thing happened. But the truth is that how many of you, I mean, how many of you could blow up a train tomorrow if you were asked? I mean, would you know one end of a stick of, have you got any, how many people actually have access to dynamite? Uh, how many of you have. I would hope not huge numbers, because if so, don't think of coming to Queen Mary. I'd rather you went somewhere else. But, um, but the, the, uh, the point I make, it's not a facetious, not entirely facetious point at all. It's not obvious how your average person blows up a train. It's not actually obvious how your average person, in the days before the internet, it's, things are slightly different. You could actually propaganda it in some ways more easy now. How you, how you set up a newspaper. How many people in here would know, actually, tomorrow, how to start a newspaper? Well, you might do, because of the internet world we live in, and because of things are much easier. But in 1940, you needed a printing press, you needed typography, you needed, type, you needed distribution networks. So these are all available. But very, very few, these are not available. These are things that some people do do, but a tiny, tiny minority. And really, for most people, well, coming back, I think, to your point here, is they have to get, they're faced with a situation where they don't know what to do. They're faced with the Germans are there. That's Paris under occupation. One of the main streets of Paris, those who know it, it's called the Rue de Rivoli, runs by the, that's the Louvre there famous hotel there, the Gestapo, where actually uh, the German military headquarters were there, uh, big Nazi flags. The, the Nazis are there. So th they're present. Now, um, here we have him again, the, the, the football coach again, uh, 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 visiting the only day that Hitler actually visited Paris, curiously, in the whole of the war. And what's he there? He's there as a tourist. He's there with Albert Speer, his great um, architect, um, collaborator, and he's visiting the Eiffel Tower. He was there for one day. Now, most people don't have to see Hitler, because they didn't have to respond to Hitler, because Hitler was only there for one day. But they do have to respond to the Germans. And there are some German soldiers just posing quite normally in front, not of the Arc de Triomphe, but another arch, which is called the Arc de Carousel, near the Louvre. And that's another Napoleonic arch, by the way. And these clearly, I guess there's another German taking photographs of them. And for them, it's quite nice being in Paris. Paris was much nicer than being in Stalingrad, where your chances of survival were tiny. For the Germans, a billeting in Paris during the war was great. They were tourists. Not only tourists, they could go shopping. 
And here we have some German soldiers shopping. I don't quite know what's, where they're shopping, um, but uh, they claim it looks like a sort of street market or something. They're bargaining. So the Germans are there. The question is, what do you do? Faced with the Germans every day there, like the furniture of life. Well, one thing you do, and this I suppose is what you said, you go fishing. You just... That's a, that's a photograph of Paris in the occupation from a wonderful album of photographs, uh, which I was very lucky to see a few years ago. I, took, I always take my students to Paris when I'm doing my special subject course. And th th there was this, we went to this exhibition, which we simply found by chance, of these amazing color photographs that have been taken under Paris under occupation. So here are just some men, and curiously, actually a woman, fishing by the Seine, living their life, just life as normal. Now, do you think that life as normal is resistance? Could it be in any way construed as resistance? Does anybody think that that could be resistance? Yeah. 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 One, yeah? Yeah, it's a, that's what the British, the British always say, stiff upper lip. Stiff upper lip, that's, that's a very good, somebody, yeah, anybody else? Uh, somebody else said yes, I think, yeah? So you're saying that they're not Okay, those are really good answers. But I have a bit of a problem with that, nonetheless. I mean, you, you, the war's over, and somebody says, what did you do in the war? And you say, well, I, was, I went fishing. Uh, and is that, yeah, I was fishing. That was great. I was, I was resisting by fishing. Now, I know that I see your point. What you're saying is normality is a way of refusing to accept uh, the awfulness of occupation. But is it enough? Is going on life as normal really a way? It, can it really be dignified? I'm not saying it can't, but it's a question as to the meaning of actions. Now, another thing that... So, one thing might be life as normal. And you might be able to justify it to yourself and say, OK, life as normal is a way of just pretending the Germans aren't there. And that, in a way, is a, a statement about what I did. I wasn't going to let them change my life. And that could be, it's like the stiff upper lip, that's a very good analogy. But it's a slightly problematic one. However, that was one form of the ways in which the resistance did justify itself. The most famous novel produced on the resistance in the war was this novel here called The Silence of the Sea. Silent, that's the original it was actually an underground book. It was produced by an underground press. Uh, and the Germans would have, I mean, it wasn't, it, it, if, if, if the Germans had known who the author was, he would have been executed. They never discovered that wasn't his real name. And the book's now become a classic. This is a new edition. And what is the story of the silence of the sea? Silence of the sea, the silence of the deep. It's about resistance as silence. It's the story of a girl who you can just see there, in the, in the, that's the cover. There's a German officer and an old man. And the old man is the uncle of the girl. And they're just a French family. And they have a German officer billeted on them. And he's a fairly decent German officer. He's not a monster. He's just a, he's a good man. He, he loves France. He wants to talk about music. He wants to be friendly. He wants to be charming. And she just does not speak to him for the entire 300 pages of the book. She just sits there in silence. She's not rude. She doesn't do anything, she just keeps silent. And two very important films were made from this film. Now, that's the silence of saying no. I'm at least making things more difficult for this German, even if you're not actually doing anything. 
But is silence always resistance? Let's take another example. This. What are we seeing here? This is Paris, June 1944. Uh, sorry, June 1942. Oh, sorry, it must be after June 42. I don't know it, the exact date. What do we see? We see an old middle-aged lady wearing the Jewish star. And on the 20th of June, roughly speaking, 1942, every Jew in Paris, whether they were French or foreign Jews, had to wear the star. And obviously she's walking down the street here with someone who's not Jewish because she's not wearing the star. Um, now, what do you do? You see that. What do you do? Well, here's a photograph of somebody watching on one occasion, as a very famous photograph, of a man who is watching, we don't quite know what, but I think one of the roundups of Jews that took place later on. And he's, he's clearly crying. Now, is crying enough? He's clearly not happy with what he's seeing, but is he resisting? Is that enough? Should he be doing something? If you see the Jew in the street and you don't do anything, are you, is your silence the silence of complicity, not the silence of resistance, like the girl? Well, that's a very difficult issue. Now, there's a wonderful book here. I just want to, I'm not going to read a great length from it. It's a, it's a book called, by a, by a um, a Jewish girl under the occupation called Helen Bear, B-E-R-R. It's called the journal. It's called journal. And some people talk about her a bit as if she was the, the French uh, Anne Frank. I'm not sure whether that's exactly the right comparison. She was a student of 19 years old at the Sorbonne studying English. Clearly very clever, very brilliant student, was expected to have a great success. And then suddenly, on, the, on, the, um, uh, on that day in June, she finds herself having to go out with a star. She's wearing a star. And by the way, uh, if you go to Paris this summer, any of you, if you go to the Shoah Museum in Paris, the Museum of the Holocaust, you can see the original of this diary, which is actually very moving, because the girl actually died. Uh, she didn't finish. I mean, she was deported before the end of the occupation into Auschwitz. And then her diary was discovered up subsequently and has been published a few years ago. And she begins on that day. She says, my God, I never thought it would be so hard. The first day she goes out wearing the star. I never thought it would be so hard. I was very courageous all day long. I, head, I held my head high and I stared at other people so hard that it made them avert their eyes. But it's very difficult. And then she goes on and she says, one person pointed at me, another averted his gaze. I heard another saying, um, it's disgusting. I heard another saying, uh, then she says, there was a woman on, a, on, on the bus who had, smiled, she, who had smiled at me in the queue and she turned around to smile at me again. Then a well-groomed gentleman stared at me. I couldn't make out the meaning of his stare. And she spends the whole day trying to read every single thing that she sees and she doesn't know what they mean. If they don't look at her, does it mean that they're being showing sympathy? If they do look at her, does it mean they're showing sympathy? And in other words, resistance by silence is very, very complex in a sense. Uh, because silence has so many multiple meanings. 